Welcome to the Church at Lake Mead, and this is our sermon podcast. Today is November 21st, and this is part three of our sermon series called Beside Still Waters. Let's take a listen. From the uh, very first sentences in, in Scripture, we find imagery of darkness. And right there in the midst of that darkness, we also found, find the powerful, wonder-working, constant faithfulness of the Spirit of God. And we'll see it in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, right in the beginning, it says, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. But look at this, the presence of God, the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of those waters right from the beginning. In the Hebrew text, we find these interactions between the creator and the created in the darkness. The creator and the creator in these moments of nighttime. So we find in stories like the story of Jacob where Yahweh meets Jacob in the night and reminds him of his faithfulness, reminds him that he is present. And then Jacob's son, Joseph, he discovers Yahweh through dreams and visions in the night. God gives direction to Gideon through a fleece overnight and to tell him the direction that he should go. He calls out this young Samuel in the middle of the night by name and calls him into work with him. We find Nathan and Isaiah, the prophets, each while they're laying in bed, God speaks to them. In the dark hour, Solomon lying in his bed, hears the question from God, what shall I give you? Daniel and Nehemiah both fasted and waited in the darkness for God to answer. The woman in Proverbs chapter 31, she rises in the middle of the night to prepare for the day. God sends a pillar of fire by night to guide and direct millions from slavery into freedom. And in that moment, in those, in those wilderness moments, he would overnight bring manna to sustain them while they're in, in, the, uh, in the wilderness. And the great warrior Joshua declares that he would meditate on his scriptures both day and at night. And those scriptures say that God watches over us at night, that he is faithful through the night. He gives us actual songs to sing in the night. The psalmist would say that he turns weeping into dancing the next morning. So at 622 this morning, whether you're aware of it or not, the sun rose. I, I was uh, growing up, I did not like waking up early. Are any of you with me? I, like I am a, you know, sleeping in. Saturday was the thing, right? Like you get to sleep in um, and sleep in as long as you can. As I've gotten older, I've discovered I like mornings. I like sunrises. Uh, I really enjoy them. So yesterday, the sun rose at 622 in the morning. This magnificent event happened where like hues of orange and yellows uh, just stretch across the sky. You know, the, uh, the sun, it will set again tonight at 428, right before man night. Uh, and the earth will spin a thousand miles per hour and the sun will eventually rise again. The prophet Hosea speaks about the constant faithful work of Yahweh, just like the rising sun. He would say this in Hosea chapter six, as sure as dawn breaks, so sure is his daily arrival. It's as if God set in motion a reminder when the sun rises that he is just as faithful after walking through the night. 
And there are times where the night goes really long. Sometimes the night, as we speak figuratively, go on for a lifetime. And yet, as believers, we can hold on to the beams of a sunrise to say, he is with me this whole time. So today, what we want to do is we conclude this series. We're going to look at the third watch of the night, the morning light. The just waiting for the sun to rise over that horizon. It's the dawn. And the hope that Jesus' followers can cling to as they walk through the night. And so what I want to do is I want to answer the question, what does it mean for us to walk through the night with God? As God leads us, how does God lead us through the night? Like, how does he get us all the way through the night? And I hope, hold on to hope. So we find in Psalm 16 where it would say something like this, I will bless the Lord who guides me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. Or in Psalm 119, the psalmist would say, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When I can't see more than two feet ahead, I hold Hold on to your word being like this lamp in the midst of the darkness, that it would light my path. And so like we did at the beginning of the series, I want us to hear a story from some dear friends um, to conclude our series about their, just, um, their walk through the night. And so the Chapmans, uh, many of you know, uh, Haley Chapman and Christy and Dennis Chapman. And so I'll have you guys come on out. Um, and welcome them as they come out. Um, and so what we want to do right now, just take a moment um, to share, let Haley share her story and then her parents to share their experience as Haley's walked through some things. Uh, last week we talked about anxiety and in different uh, forms. And, uh, and so I want to, I want I asked Haley if she would be willing to share and, uh, Haley, you, you're in eighth grade, right? Yes. And how long you've been a part of Lake Mead? For eight years. Eight years. Yeah, wow. Since first grade. First grade. Uh, and, um, Haley, uh, are your parents, you guys all came here at the same time to church, right? Like as soon as she was coming to. Yeah. As soon as, um, we enrolled Haley, uh, in first grade here, we joined the church. Okay. So Haley, a few years ago, um, you started to experience anxiety, is that right? Yeah. Um, and so how, did, how was that experience? Like what was taking place? So I was in third grade, I was eight years old, and I was in the cafeteria one day and somebody had spilt their milk like on the floor and I thought it was throw up. And so I started like freaking out and like I didn't really know what was going on like because I was eight and I never experienced that before mm. and I didn't really know of anxiety. Um, so that really freaked me out and I didn't know what was going on. And then a couple weeks later, um, we were at an awards assembly and I like couldn't go on stage like without letting go of my parents. And it was just like weird for me because that has never happened before. Hmm. So at that moment, we knew like something weird was going on. It came on you suddenly. Yeah, like. just it was overnight. Okay. And that began to progress pretty quickly? Yeah. 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 What was that looking like, Mom? Is... Um, so I, she, she changed overnight. Um, she was a social butterfly, loved school, loved her friends, and... Um, we couldn't get her to leave the house, much less go to school or do anything. So uh, we took her to the wellness center um, to just kind of see what was going on. And um, by the second appointment, um, just going off of her health history, she had recently had um, strep. 
Um, and there's a, there's a autoimmune, a misdirected autoimmune response um, that can happen. It's kind of like an encephalitis um, where the antibodies attack the brain instead of attacking the bacteria or the virus. And um, so we were able to determine within a couple of appointments that's what was going on with Haley. Um, so the symptoms presented as psychiatric symptoms. She was having um, anxiety, separation anxiety. She quit sleeping. She quit eating. Um, couldn't leave the house. We couldn't have anybody over to the house. Um, and she literally fell apart overnight. Um, but we were able to find a provider in uh, Northern California that treats it, that specializes in it. And um, so we kind of started treatment from there. You weren't you were going to school Right? You were no, I wasn't. After that awards assembly, like I didn't want to go back to school. It was just like too much anxiety of people throwing up, myself throwing up. And and your friends, how did you interact with them throughout? I um, usually would text them because it was hard to have anybody over, like especially my own grandparents. Like I could barely have over without freaking out or like any family member. Um, so I would, you know, usually call them or text them. So, and this this took place. You said you were eight when this started. Yeah. You're eighth grade now, uh, and so this was over a course of several years, right? I remember us. We would pray at the beginning of school years that that God would take this away and that you'd be able to get back into the classroom, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. How how has how did this impact your faith? Like as you were walking through this. Um, um, I was really angry at God because, like, I didn't know why I was going through this because I was like, I never did anything wrong to deserve, like, like the suffering from anxiety I went through. So I was just really, like, confused and angry at God. But even though I was angry and, like, was starting to lose my faith, I prayed every night for just my anxiety to go away and so I could just heal and, like, stop all my meds and stuff like that. Um, Because deep down I knew, like, to get better, I had to have faith, even though I was still angry at God. What about you, Dad? How was this? Yeah, I mean, I will say that um, as it was, I'm super tough for us uh, as a family to go through this and to watch your child suffer. Um, But her faith is what I think held us together, which was so amazing. just to see her thrive and you know i know that she would always tell us like i'm just i don't know why this is happening and we just kept trying to reassure that you know god's got some got a plan for you and you know um she uh, two weeks ago or a week ago she stood on this stage and had a huge theater production and she had her own little solo and singing and there there you go (laughs) And, uh, <laughs> That's really great. <laughs> nice. So, I mean, she just absolutely did fantastic, and she's thriving. And mm-hmm. for me, that's just all the joy in the world yeah. to see that. Yeah. How how would you say God revealed Himself throughout that? Because it was it's been how many years? Five years. Five, Five years of, Almost. and I know there are people in our audience who are working through like a chronic, long-term um, situations. How did God reveal himself throughout this? 
Well, there was this verse that I always like referred to was Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for good and not for evil to give you a hope and a future. <laughs> because that always, like I thought, why was this happening? Like, what is the reason for this? So I would look back at that verse and be like, he has a plan for me. Like something good has to come out of this. So you showed, we, we saw this picture, things are different. You're on this stage and, and that what's pretty remarkable is when we were talking about this a few weeks ago, Haley was like all caps, exclamation points. Yes, I want to share my story. Um, so, so when did this turn? Like when was there the moment of anxiety started to subside? And so um, it, the treatment has been hard. Um, in the beginning, you know, we got the diagnosis and we're like, okay, we'll start treatment. And, you know, we, we, I envisioned or we envisioned it, you know, she'd just get better and everything would be fine. Mm. Um, it didn't happen that way. There was a lot of two steps forward, one step backwards. Um, a lot of the treatment had a lot of side effects. Um, you know, I had to quit my job and stay home to help her um, get better. And, you know, we were trying to help her with school. Um, it, and it was difficult um, for a long time. And, and then she did get better. And then in June of 2020, she relapsed again. Um, and that's, it just happened to be summer break. So um, we had to reinitiate treatment again. And um, through the entire thing, I mean, there, there were moments where um, it was difficult and it was a struggle. And I questioned why, especially when she relapsed, it was like, why is this happening again? Um, but you know, like she says, there's, there's a reason to it. And, um, I know deep down in my heart, um, you know, God has his hand in everything that we're going through, even if we don't quite understand it in the moment. Um, he had his hand in this from the get go from, you know, here at school to the wellness center, to the church, everybody was praying for us. Um, the provider we found, even though she was in the Bay area, she now lives here in Henderson, which is amazing. I work for her now, um, and I advocate for the children that you know are experiencing the same thing. And so, God absolutely has His hand in everything that we're going through. And um, you know, this August, Haley returned to school for eighth grade and walked on campus without any anxiety, Whoa. no accommodation, um, nothing, and she's thriving. So God is good, people. Yeah. God is Amen. faithful. So you saw God, even, even in the midst of five years, you saw him through the community that was a part of your life and, um, and just the, the gift of this doctor being uh, introduced to your family, the you know, counselors, others playing a role in, in this journey. Um, Haley, is there anything else you want to sh share? Uh, um, when I was like upset at God about it and something good has to come out of it, I'm still searching for that. But um, the, I know some of it has shown. Um, I know there's people like around me um, who are going through anxiety, the same stuff I went through, and I, I'll help them. So if anybody needs any help with anxiety, like I'm here, talk to me about it, because mm. I'm here and I understand. And I'm, yeah, so oh. I want to use that and share it for people. Yeah. Thank you for being courageous to be up here. Uh, and sharing your story. Uh, can we pray over you? Yeah, yeah. Ooh. 
So, uh, brothers and sisters, if you would like just extend a hand as if you're just praying with, uh, with me and you pray from your seat. Um, Father, will you, will you continue to heal and restore, making all things new? Thank you for the faithfulness of your children here, for parents who just clung to you. God, for a community that surrounded them, thank you for that. Thank you for Haley's testimony of your faithfulness. Thank you that she uh, clung to uh, your word, your truth. I pray that you just continue to heal. And God, uh, we just praise you uh, for story after story of your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Chapman's. Yeah. So how does God lead through the night uh, when, when night can be for five years? Like how, how does that take place? And I know some of you experience or experience in that at this moment uh, in this room. Like how do we do that? And so what I want to do just as we close out this series, I want to go back to Psalm 23. We've been paralleling this Psalm 23 with the story of Elijah out of 1 Kings 19. And in Psalm 23, we find that the Lord is my shepherd, that he is guiding and right near me and he's walking with me. And that played out in three different ways as we talked about in the last couple of weeks. The first one is just like Elijah needed to lay down and sleep on that front end where he was like, I've had enough. Will you please just take my life right now. He was at a moment where he just felt like he couldn't go forward and the good shepherd let him just lay down and rest. And so we see that he makes me lie down in green pastures this idea that he would provide, he could just rest. Um, And then the next stage was that Elijah was taken to a mountain from there. And that's where we'll pick up today. But this idea of he leads me beside still waters. When he was on that mountain, he heard the quiet, still voice of God. That was the voice that was speaking into him and saying, okay, let's, let's bring you to some points of healing. And so we see that. And then the third one that we'll lead, that we'll talk about today is this idea that he leads me in the paths of righteousness. So how does God lead us? Well, one of the things that we come to grips with or we need to in moments like this is the reality that I'm not in control. If I'm going to let God lead me, then that means I'm declaring he is in control and I am no longer the one that's needing to lead others or the one that needs to take the path alone, that I don't have as much control as I thought I did. Any parents realize that as, you get, as their kids get older? Oh man, I do not have as much control as I thought, right? Uh, I would have dr- literal dreams about my kids rebelling and I'd wake up and I'd feel it. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I don't have control of my kids. Um, so the first step in God leading us is, is us to come to the realization that I'm not, I am not in control. I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, the idea of like when we go to sleep every 20, you know, or 20 hours or however, 16 hours, that is actually an act of me saying, I surrender, I am limited, I'm not in control. Laying down as a vulnerable position, like I'm being vulnerable. The word vulnerable actually means woundable the ability to be wounded. And when I lay down and close my eyes, I'm putting myself in a place of vulnerability and saying, God, you gotta care for me. Do you remember that prayer at night that said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Right, this, okay, God, you're in control. And this is the posture I'm taking. 
And so what I want us to consider is how do I let God lead and what is happening when he does? So Richard Foster says this, the dark night is one of the ways God brings us into a hush, a stillness, so that he may work an inner transformation upon the soul. That, okay, God, I cannot get this. I don't understand why I'm, why I'm walking through this. Like Haley's like, I don't understand this, but I'm going to let you work in me while this is happening. I'm going to let you do a work in me. So 1 Kings 19, Elijah's up on the mountain and, and God asks him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Like, why are we here? Elijah responds, as we learned last week, and you can go back and listen to it. Elijah responds with a lie, thinking that he is all alone. That's what he thought. He says, I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me. And what's remarkable is God didn't respond to that. He didn't correct Elijah. He just brought Elijah out and spoke to him in a quiet voice, revealed himself to him. He doesn't correct him yet, but God does ask him, ask him again, why are we here, Elijah? Like, what are we doing? You know, when life is exhausting and we walk through something pretty difficult, what we tend to do in our heads is get into a loop. We're really good about telling ourselves stories, aren't we? I mean, maybe you've been there. Somebody says something and you immediately come up with a story of why they said it and what their tone meant and what that look meant, right? Are you good at that? Anybody? Just the three of us. Okay. So... Uh, we can tell ourselves quick stories. Like, I really appreciate it. I can't remember if I've shared this yet. The, I read, came across this article that says, we're quick to judge by a person's character rather than their circumstance. So if I see somebody fly down the road really fast in a car, my first response is they're a jerk, right? Rather than consider, I wonder if there's an emergency, right? We do that with each other too. We read into each other's postures and looks and statements so quickly and our brain, brain can tell an entire story, but we don't stay there. When we lay down at night, we build that story. We're really good at writing full narratives of why somebody did something. And what we add into it is our superhero moments of what we could have said and what we could have done and all those things, right? We're really good at that. This loop we put ourselves in is quite destructive. Chris Hodges in his book that Evan mentioned earlier out of the cave, he likens this ruminating as a cow chewing cud. Now, I don't know if any of you have been on a farm before, but this is what generally happens. A, a cow will lean over, eat some grass, chew on it for a while, really slowly, swallow it, bring it back up, chew on it some more, right? And it gets grosser and grosser the more we chew on it, right? That is us ruminating on our stories, don't we? It just gets grosser and gross. Is that even, am I saying that? Should I say more and more gross? Uh, it just, it gets nasty by the time. No one wants to see that, right? Like that's just really nasty with these stories we tell ourselves. And we lie in bed and we are good at it and we destroy ourselves with it. And what's amazing is God asks him again and then is gonna invite him out of that. He's not gonna keep saying, why are we here? Why are we here? Why are we here? 
Why are we here? He's going to say, okay, now, Elijah, let's move. Let's get moving out of this. You've, you've sat in this a little too long. Let's, let's start moving out of this. And so what, what Elijah's going to do is he's going to respond. He's going to allow God to lead him into motion. And I want you to hear, see three things that God leads Elijah to do as we finish out this passage. I encourage you to read through it again and read past 1 Kings 19. I think it's a phenomenal story. But he's going to do three things. God's going to lead him into three things in this story. Let's look at it. God tells him he's standing at the cave, uh, the mouth of the cave, and God says, okay, it's time for you to get moving, Elijah. We've been here long enough, and it's been a while. It's been a long time. It's time. Let's start moving again. I want you to go back the same way you came, and I want you to travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And so he invites him to get moving again. Here's what God does. He leads us toward purpose. I think so often, and many of us over the last 18 months have discovered what we put our purpose in. Like our career was our purpose in life, like my good health was my, the purpose for life. All of these things, and we discovered collectively that those things could quickly be taken away. And what, what, what Yahweh does for Elijah says, I'm the one that defines your purpose. I'm the one that's going to give you purpose. I'm going to direct you no matter what the circumstance is, no matter who's threatening you, no matter what kind of a, a thing is coming at you, I will give you purpose. And I'll sustain you in this. And so that's the very first thing, first thing that God leads Yahweh, leads Elijah through is, hey, I'm going to give you purpose. Let me get you back on track. Let me, let me get you back on this path. And so here's where he goes. When you get to the place I'm calling you to, I want you to anoint Hazael to be the king of Aram. So what happens here, here's the pretty amazing. Elijah was scared of a king and a queen. They both had threatened his life. And he had been running. That's how it all started. That's why we're here where we're at. And God is just showing him, listen, Elijah, I'm in control. Just as quickly as that person became king, I'm going to remove him. We're going to put somebody else in place because I'm in control of this. And so, so what Elijah is discovering is not only that, that, uh, that he's not in control, but God is. And I just need to follow him and whatever his purposes are, however he wants this to play out, I just need to trust that he's going to be uh, a God that redeems all things. He restores all things. And so then the next part is God leads us into discipleship. Every time... Or as you look throughout scripture, we'll find followers of Yahweh and followers of Jesus being led into discipleship. Just like Haley said right at the end, now what I want to do with my story is poured into other people's lives. Like I want those who, those who are dealing with anxiety, I want to just, I want to care for them. That's the call of a, of a follower of Jesus is to disciple other people. If you are a follower of Jesus, let me just say this. Brothers and sisters, you have been called into discipleship. You've been called to take your story and pour it into the life of someone else. If you are not doing that, you are neglecting the very thing that Jesus wants to do through you. And so each of us, you and I, need to be discipling somebody else. Watch how Elijah, God calls him into discipleship. I want you to anoint Elisha. Some of you might know his story is pretty cool. Uh, if you grew up in church, you always got these two mixed up and, and messed up. Uh, me too. Uh, I want him to replace you as my prophet. Every one of us should be raising somebody else up in the faith to continue to carry the faith on. Every one of us. There is no excuse, brothers and sisters, that we're, we're not discipling. 
We are to be pouring our faith into somebody else. And so that's what Elijah is being called into. He actually does. You'll see it in the story in a little bit. And then the next part here is God leads us toward truth. And Michelle and I talked about this a little bit last week, about this need to combat the lie, that loop that's happening over and over in your brain. Finally, God responds to Elijah's lie that he's all alone. And this is how he responds. I will preserve 7,000 others. You're not alone, Elijah. There are 7,000 others who want to follow me. And I'm going to bring this whole army of followers and you can be a part of it. And he invites him into that. Here's what I, I said this a little bit last week. Followers of Jesus, it is crucial that you and I learn scripture. That we love it like the psalmist said, I love your word. But I think we all are struggling with memorizing, aren't we? We know one phone number and it's our own, right? For those of you that are uh, from the 80s and 90s, we had to memorize everybody's number, right? And we were, we were able to. Uh, and we could memorize scripture too. Like Haley just quoted uh, Jeremiah 29, 11. We are losing the art of memorizing scripture. It's important that we know it so that when we do walk through a dark night, there is a recall of scripture in our soul to respond to that dark night. And I know we have the gift of Google. Google, oh, I'm going through a dark night. What's the scripture? Like we could do that, like we could do that. And that's a really good gift. <laughs> but we really need to like, you and I need to memorize, like no scripture. We need it in us. We need it to combat any kind of lies that start to rise up within us. We need it to like, just like with this story right here, I am with you. God's saying, I am with you. So Elijah comes off the mountain. He finds Elisha. That's a lot of fun. Uh, Elisha says a really cool prayer right at the end of Elijah's life. Um, Elisha's like, I want to be double what Elisha was. It's a pretty cool prayer. Read it later. Um, but Elijah ends up being on another mountaintop. It's not like this one. This one was pretty lonely and he had to work out some things and Yahweh and his very like kind faithfulness reveals himself to him. Elijah finds himself on another mountaintop actually several centuries later, which is really cool. Jesus is on the earth. He, other disciples are, are following him. And so we find in Luke chapter nine, about eight days later, Jesus takes Peter and John and James up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of Jesus's face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. Think about Elijah's on the mountain. God passes in a quiet voice, right? And now Elijah's on the mountain and the very word of God made flesh is in front of him. And as they begin to talk, Jesus begins to talk with them about what's about to happen, that, Elijah, that Jesus is gonna go through the darkest of nights to lay down his life on behalf of every one of you and on behalf of the two that were standing before him, Moses and Elijah. And they have this conversation, how this is gonna look. And Jesus says, it was necessary that he faced this cross so that you and I would experience a new life, that even in the darkest of nights, he would be a light. The people, they were walking in darkness, they see a 
a great light. John declares that the light of the world has come for each one of us in such a way that when he laid down his life and he rose again, you and, all, you and I would all receive a new life if we just begin to follow him and let him lead us, let the good shepherd lead us. And it would take this light and it would illuminate each one of us who are beginning to follow him, where each of us would take that light into the darkest moments, whether it's our own or whether it was somebody else. And we would show that Jesus is the hope of the world, that this light has come for each of us. We go into Advent and Advent is another part of the rhythms of life. Just like the day when the sun begins to rise and we're like, oh, the sun is coming. Advent does the same thing. It reminds us that Jesus came and the King is returning. And we need those rhythms for each of us because there's darkness still in the world. Some of us walk through chronic illness and pain. Some of us walk through chronic uh, pain in our, uh, in our emotions, in our mental uh, state. So that there's just, it's like continually a battle that we face. And Jesus, the light of the world, we cling to him like this, this lamp to my feet, right? In hopes for his return. That there is a sun to rise one day and it will never set. And that's what we cling to. And we'll be talking about that in the next few weeks, the advent, the arrival of the King that we can cling to. And some of you, Christmas time is tough. And this year it might be difficult because you lost somebody and this will be your first time without them. And advent is to remind us that, that he's making all things new, that he is near in moments like this. Oftentimes he's near by having other brothers and sisters around. That's how he shows he's near. And I would encourage you not to recluse. Don't go into hiding. I'd encourage you to fight those emotions that say you need to be isolated, that you would step in this next couple of weeks so that the light of the world can continue to shine on you among the brothers and sisters here. That day you could sit beside people and they could declare the truth of who Christ is for you so that you could eventually begin to sing it out again. Right, I encourage you to do that. Don't be, don't, don't like resist isolation. Be near other brothers and sisters. Keep coming back as we talk about Advent. I want to close with us to, um, with communion because I think it's really important. Communion in one passage says that when we take it often, we remember what Jesus did and we remember that he's coming again. And that's what I want to focus on together. So if you don't have your communion element, elements, I encourage you to, to come up front or in the back. There are elements uh, throughout the room and we'll take this together. passage I want to share with you is the glorious promise that we'll one day not have to deal with the night. And it comes out of Revelation chapter 22. It says, no longer will there be a curse upon anything 
for the throne of God and the lamb will be there and his servants will worship him and they will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night. There's not gonna be a need for lamps or sun for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. Some of you, the dawn is us holding on to eternity. Those are the beams of light that I'm holding on to as I walk this life. And we're gonna hold on to that, that the truth that one day there won't be any more night because the sun is here and he is going to light up our life in a way that we've never experienced before. And together we're gonna hold on to that truth because he came the first time, he broke his body for us that we'd have life. Let's take this together. And his blood was poured out for us in the darkest of nights so that he'd be the light of the world. Let's take the cup. So in response, Caroline is gonna sing over the song that we just sang a little bit ago. But I want us to pray this prayer out loud. I started our, our series off with this prayer. It was a prayer written by St. Augustine several centuries before or ago. It was a prayer that, that people clung to as they prepared for the night. And we just wanna pray this in an intercessory way for each other. You might not be walking through the night, but somebody in your aisle or somebody in front of you or behind you might be. So we're gonna pray it on behalf of others, all right? We're gonna stand and then as Carolina sings, we're gonna offer some opportunity for people to be prayed over uh, and we'll do that in just a moment. But if you'll stand with me, let's say this prayer together out loud. We're gonna pray this on behalf of others in the room. We're gonna be praying for people as they lay their heads down at night tonight. Here's the prayer, say this with me. Keep watch, dear Lord, with those who work or watch or weep this night and give your angels charge over those who sleep. Tend the sick, Lord Christ. Give rest to the weary, bless the dying, soothe the suffering, pity the afflicted, shield the joyous, and all for your love's sake. 